Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to Not Your Average Joe, the podcast that'll make anyone a little less average. I'm your host, Joe Franco, and we got a treat in store for you today. This episode is going to give you a little business, a little beauty, and everything in between. My guest for this episode is Jennifer Sullivan, aka Jen, who is one of the co-hosts of the really successful beauty podcast called Fat Mascara. Hello, welcome to Fat Mascara. I'm Jessica. Hi, Jessica. I'm Jen. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to our beauty podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Her and her co-host, Jessica Matlin, have interviewed celebrities from Kim K to Tracy Ellis Ross, my personal icon, Kristen Bell, Bobby Brown, Victoria Beckham, and now me. So I'm featured on an episode of Fat Mascara, which I will link in the description down below. But this episode on my show is really, you know, how we do it here. We talk about being a not average Joe. And for somebody who started a beauty podcast back in 2016 who's still in the game I figured Jen was the perfect person to pick her brain about not only podcasting but the specific niche in the podcasting world that they've become very successful in which is beauty I have to admit that the older I get the more put together I look and it's because it's connected to confidence so I want us all to go into this episode not so much in thinking of beauty in the traditional sense like my goal for the end of this hour is for you like myself to redefine this concept of beauty you're gonna want to take notes for this one seriously though because she gives some product tips at the end that are amazing kill the intro sis you know she's not your average joe not your average joe those people immediately I'm like damn I want to be friends with this woman uh, and it makes sense because you're a professional podcaster and an overall dope human being so welcome thanks for having me ditto we already have a, pl a trip planned to where are we going Croatia no, no Berlin we're going to Berlin she's we're gonna going help to me learn German everyone for anyone who hasn't heard of fat mascara can you please do like a little retrospective of not only the podcast that you host about beauty but how you stumbled into the whole world of beauty and this creative lifestyle that you can now live full time on. Yeah, Fat Mascara is a is a podcast about beauty, but I feel like we look at like culture, psychology, philosophy through the lens of beauty. So yeah, we'll have on Kim Kardashian's makeup artist and actually Kim Kardashian herself, but we'll also have on a philosopher who talks about lookism and why we can't discriminate based on someone's look. So it's all these conversations that when I worked in consumer magazines I wanted to have and never had the space to have because like you write this whole story and it gets cut down to like 300 words. So that's my, my career before podcasting was as a journalist for mostly magazines, sometimes newspapers here and there on the beauty beat. And the reason I focused on that beat is so funny. I'm the biggest tomboy growing up. I don't even know. Do people call pe tomboy anymore? I don't know. I, but that was me. No makeup, no hair in the pool on the soccer fields. Um, 
But what I loved about beauty was, A, the community, like just going to the salon and chit-chatting, but B, the collectability of it all. Like I love the little products and, you know, discovering new little products. And so when I graduated college, I was like, I want to go into beauty marketing. And I got one marketing job and I was like, oh, it's so corporate and boring. And I slipped over into journalism, not in beauty, at a local magazine in Philadelphia and worked my way back to beauty. And that's where I've been kind of ever since. But it's so interesting that you said when you worked in consumer magazines that the conversations that you wanted to have, these like deeper in-depth conversations about psychology and society and everything that subsequently can be traced into beauty or like can be kind of looked at through the beauty lens, that those conversations were not what the, you know, final decision makers thought the world wanted so why do you think that is when clearly they do fat mascara has been going on for six years you have a huge audience so there is an audience for people who want the real shit for lack of a better word so why is it that these uh, platforms or magazines keep it so commercial why do you think that is money it always comes down to money some of the magazines that i worked at well also it let's you know, if, if you're working at, for example, prevention, it was all about health. They're not going to want to have, you know, the audience is more interested in what vitamin will help them have smoother skin. They didn't come to prevention to hear about, you know, South Sudan and how they smoke bathe instead of like bathe, bathe, because they don't have a lot of water. But when I got to Mary Claire magazine, I was able to do more of that stuff. But ultimately it comes down to the advertising model, you know, magazines, uh, kind of lost advertising to the interwebs and we're doing a lot to please advertisers. And sometimes that means making your content more like consumeristic and, and product buying based because that can then support the ads that help keep the magazine running. It's a slippery slope. So, you know, you're going to cut the page that didn't have products, but was talking about this woman that you met in, you know, Sudan because that doesn't sell, you know, soap. So um, but luckily there's things like podcasting and YouTube and all these other places where we can have this kind of journalism and support it ourselves so that we can hear those stories. I always love these conversations because it starts with one thing and I like totally dive into another piece of it. It's wild that as somebody who's creative, who wants to tell stories, somebody who goes and studies journalism, the job back in the day specifically, because now, you know, podcasts are more prevalent or YouTube channels, social media we have access to creating our own platforms. But back in the day, talk about kind of like an unfortunate series of events where you go into a career thinking that you're going to have the freedom to talk about the things that you want to talk about. But then you work for these corporations that from the outside looking in look like the best case scenario and your voice and your stories are being ripped for the sake of product placement and anything that isn't pushing products is not deemed important. Like, damn, that's depressing. It is, but the plus side of it is that now that a lot of people have the power in their own hands to put out what they want to, yes, it fragments where audiences are and they get smaller, but the niche aspect means that you can always find your people somewhere or the things that are important to you. You can connect with them on, on you know, a podcast or online or wherever it is. Not Your Average Joe, takeaway number one. This is the classic route for anyone who is going to live an above average life. When you can't find a door that you would like to go through, 
you get the shovel, you get the bricks, and you start building your own. If you know that you are holding back things that you genuinely want to do, you're going to find a way to do it. And Jen's version of that was creating the podcast as a side hustle that's now become her full-time job. Let's talk about the beginning of you building an audience. It's 2016. Fat okay. Mascara launched. Is that correct? 2016? Yeah, 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 yeah. We started working on it in 2015, so yes. And you have a co-host, Jess. Paint the picture of the beginning stages of that journey because back then podcasting was like a tiny grain of sand. So we weren't like nobody in the world of journalism. She was the a beauty editor at, where was she at the time? I think Cosmo. And I was at Mary Claire. So we were like a known entity in the beauty world, but nobody was doing podcasting. And she had the idea why isn't there a beauty podcast? We have these things called desk sides when you're a beauty editor where like a brand would come in and their founder would share the story with you as the editor and they'd sit next to your desk. So I guess they called it a desk side and they would be the most interesting conversations and you'd learn all about them, the products, the story, but ultimately you'd have like this much space in the magazine to put it in. So the idea was kind of like, let's bring those stories to life with more space. So on a side hustle, as we're both doing our full-time jobs and like rising through the ranks in magazines, we had a production company at the time. Thank God the audience was small back then because it is it was so janky. Like I listen back and I'm like so embarrassed of the not embarrassed. I love the content, but like the sound quality. We you know we were still trying to figure it all out. Um, so they helped us out for the first year or two, um, and then we sort of started doing it ourselves, and it got bigger slowly but surely. Um, we got some nice press and people, you know, you find your little communities online. So I've grown tons of things on social media, like, which is crazy that I can even say that. And it's, it's always changing because new things pop up, right? Like now the TikTok strategy is different from the YouTube strategy or whatever. But I started my podcast in October of uh, this past, I guess, of 2021. So it's, it's six months-ish old. I can't do math very well, but basically... I'm seeing that growing a podcast is much different than growing anything else on the internet. And my easiest way to explain this is like when you make YouTube videos, you're being put in a pool for better or worse with tons of other YouTube videos and you can get picked up algorithmically and be suggested on someone else's videos that you've never met, but that your content could align. And, and that's how you grow on YouTube. Same thing on Instagram, same thing on TikTok. Podcasting does not work the same way like <laughs> if if the person does not have the exact link to your podcast they unlikely will ever find they, they won't find you so how did you guys actually grow we are the algorithm right now it has to happen this way where like two hosts who have like an overlap in interests you know switch a podcast because as you know joe has been on fat mascara and like that's how you have to do it but like wouldn't it be nice if the algorithm worked and did that for us automatically <laughs> But this is why I have so much more respect for podcasts that are huge. And I think the amount of time and energy you have to put into a podcast to finally yield the the full-time income that you and Jess have yielded, that is far more, like to me, that shows character and consistency that most people who are blowing up on TikTok will never need to know. Because I like to play, yeah, speaking, I like to play the long game. I didn't. I, I remember very specifically in my 20s having a thought to myself like, okay, what do I want from life? Do I want like money? Do I want whatever? And I said, I want to be happy. What makes me happy? Traveling the world. So I like made every decision in my career and everything to be like, what will let me travel more? What will make me happier? And so 
listen, if you're out there and you want to start a podcast because you want to get rich, don't do it. <laughs> but it's not gonna happen. <laughs> um, I'd much rather have a niche audience that I really connect with and you know, I still, I still write on, I write for like L, Allure and L the cut. So, you know, that supplements my income and Jess still has a full-time job. Um, so we've worked it out that we're able to do it this way, but yeah, you're right. It is a tougher medium, but I think on the listening end for the listeners, it can sometimes be easier because like you could be cleaning the house and listening. There's no screen you have to be looking at and you feel like you get a break from that, that dry eye screen lock that we sometimes feel because work, pleasure, everything happens on this two-dimensional screen. And when you put on the headphones, it's intimate too. Like you feel like you know the voice in your ears and you can do other things at the same time, driving, commuting, all that. So not to discount that someone could be new on the scene and really smart, but it's like when you have a track record of six years of a podcast, that is a lot of learning that will never be the same as like a one podcast episode going viral and suddenly they become experts in the field. Yeah. Talk right? to like, me five years though. Cause I, whenever virality happens, I'm always like, that's great. Let's see what they're doing in three months or whatever, because consistency is hard. And I think with podcasting, that is the thing that finds you an audience. They want to know reliably, oops, I didn't listen for two weeks, but there's Jess and Jen and they're still my friends that are still going to be here and we're putting it out like I'm doing a service and I don't want to do a disservice to the people that are listening. You know how that happens with someone that you're into and all of a sudden they go dark on Instagram. You're like, where are they? Are they okay? Or a YouTube channel that like you expect every biweekly video. And like, we both understand these people don't work for corporations. They're their own people. We have to give them the slack of like running. They run their own business. It's hard to do. But like, I know that disappointment and I don't want to give that to a listener. Not your average Joe. Tip number two, y'all know this. Consistency is the hardest part. But when the dust settles, who's still creating? Who's still building? Who's still there? So many people can ride the wave of immediate fame, but who can stay on top of that wave years to come? It's not easy. You got to paddle real hard, let me tell you. So let's talk about the consistency. You guys started back in the day. Was it like breadcrumbs of, of the amount of listeners? Like how was the journey? Was it painful that you I didn't posting? even know how to find out how many listeners we had. There was, that's the other thing. There's no like Nielsen ratings of podcasts. I don't know if people know this, but like, you know, your listens on Spotify versus your listens on Apple and all these other small things. Now there's um, ways to, you know, get that information together so you can see a better picture. But at first it was really only, I guess, Apple. And so, you know, it would trickle in and like maybe the first podcast we did had 60 people listen. Yes, crumbs. But that didn't discourage you. You kept going. I think it's because I come from magazines, which was before I never started on a platform where you get to see the likes and you get to see the number count right away. You write a magazine article. I knew our subscription base was 800,000 people or 1.1 million people. The number of them that wrote in, no. The people that hate you write in, as you know. The people that actually liked what you wrote don't ever write to you. So you're putting it out into the ether. And so I never got hooked on that feeling of virality, a large number. My first writing is, all, you probably, you can't even find it online because it was all in paper. And so I try not to pay attention to that, which obviously when you're trying to make money is hard to do, but I think you just got to go with what you feel is right. I listen to people's, qualitative feedback like I didn't like this guest or the thing that you always get in their views which is that you're talking over your guest and I'm like I know in the beginning we interrupted the guests all the time but 
please listen to the more recent episodes I've learned in six years, you know? This is such a fascinating uh, thing because when I started this podcast, I found that it brought me much more joy than the other platforms. I think it boils down to not being able to see the comments screaming in your face and not being able to see this like short term measure of success or failure. So whereas on YouTube, you, you spend a week editing a video and your heart is in it and you post it and you see immediately if it's the worst performing video that you've posted, there's this horrible thing on YouTube that says this video is 10 out of 10 as in it's literally performing the least successfully out of the last 10 videos that you posted. So even if you're not comparing yourself to other people, you are comparing yourself to yourself. And this is the the platforms kind of numerically training the producers, the content creators to produce more. They're they're creating the system and of of the like, same thing. This is the problem with online well, sorry, look, I'm interrupting you. Clearly I didn't learn no, no, a lesson, Joe. This is great. This is <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Interrupt me. Go, go, go. No, it's become an echo chamber where we see what gets clicks. We do more of that. You find your people. You don't listen to the people outside of your echo chamber. And it makes for a dumber discourse overall because, you know, here I am writing about the royal babies and what they're wearing instead of the things that I really want to be writing about or talking about. Sorry, the royals are great. I get people that are into those, but it was just like at my last days in magazines, success was measured by this story had this many affiliate links and had this many things. And the sure way to do that was Kate Middleton shoes or whatever it was, you know? Right. Right. And then if you think about you zoom out and you're like, why the fuck am I doing this? It's to have interesting discourse and conversation. That's when you leave that job and become a poor podcaster. (laughs) So let's talk about this big jump. When did this happen? After how many years of putting podcast episodes into the ether, not knowing if people listened, at what point did it become successful enough to say, okay, let me consider this full time? It wasn't really when I made the jump and quit my full-time job because I knew I'd be freelance. I'd be a freelance writer as well. But so this was January, 2020. Ah, remember that good times. Uh, so we had been doing it four and a half years and we had just sold our first like sponsored ad. So I was like, okay, there is money to be made here. Um, I'm going to take a risk. I saved up a bunch of money. Now I'm going to interrupt you. It took you four years of consistent uploads on your podcast, but they didn't have like all the great like platforms they do now that sell dynamic ads for you that like, even if you only have a thousand listeners, you get grouped with a bunch of really cool, similar podcasts. They sell you as a group and it's dynamically inserted, which is a great way for a small podcast to make money. They didn't have all of that when we first started out. So if we were doing an ad, we had to record it special, host read, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I think that's part of it too. I th- so don't get discouraged if you want to be a podcaster. Right now, there are ways to do that, even if you have you know, 500 listeners to an episode. I started thinking about this a lot recently. Why do I love this podcast so much more than the other platforms? And I got to keep it real. I think it's because... It's freeing that I don't see the comments right away. I see what you post on social media, but I'm doing this not for the success metrics, not for the views, not for the shareability. I'm doing this because I actually love these conversations, but it's the kind of love that will make me keep going whether or not it's successful by numerical standards. And I feel like that is the secret sauce to anyone who builds a life in a creative way that they just keep going even if no one else sees what they're doing because they can't help it like i can't help but have these conversations so if you're listening amazing and if you're not 
I'm still going to have these conversations. The thought that I had with this takeaway is how do we blind ourselves from success metrics altogether? Is there a way to create on these platforms without looking at the numbers, not obsessing over the analytics? Because when you start obsessing over the numbers, then you start making what's successful and denying yourself of your own artistic abilities. And I mean, shoot, that's that's like a me thing. This is a me conversation, so I'm a journal about this one. Right, yeah. right. Okay, so anyways, you, you had your first host read ad in 2020 before the pandemic. Yeah, and then I quit my job and I was just like, what am I gonna do? I started writing. And then this little thing called coronavirus, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, that came about real quick. But it had an upside for podcasting, which was we're bored out of our minds and needed stuff to do. No, no, no. I think what it was was actually it opened up. We had to figure out how to record virtually. I have these pictures from the early pandemic. It's hilarious of like me on my bed. I made a pop filter for the mic out of a pair of pantyhose, a mason jar lid, and two like hardware clamps to like put the spit screen over this like jankified mic that I set up. Um, it's, it's hilarious. I very quickly got the right people on board, found a sound engineer to work with virtually found the, you know, tech that helps me. And that really opened us up to having like celebrities on the show because these are people, Hey, first of all, all the celebrities weren't working. Like all the entertainment people like TV stars, pop stars, they're not touring. Um, so they were open to doing press and who didn't want to like connect with other people at that time. So we got a bunch of big names on the podcast and they could record virtually. And so I think then people started seeing we were getting these names, which then we got more of the bigger names. Like if somebody wants to talk about beauty and they look up beauty podcast, you know, we're able to say, Hey, we have this platform that we can help you share with. So I think that was like an upside for us. Um, it's funny though, you'd be surprised, like some of the largest celebrities in the world are not the best performing episodes that we've had on Fat Mascara. Really? It's the thing about quantity versus quality. Like, you know, you might have this many followers, but they follow you just because you're like that famous lady, what's she doing? Whereas someone with a smaller audience, but of like passionate people, um, the person that comes to mind is, Caroline Hirons, maybe she has a bigger audience, but so she's a skincare influencer in, in England and still one of our best performing episodes because our listeners love skincare. They love her no nonsense attitude. She gives it to you straight, which I think is kind of something I'm known for too. Um, and she's funny and fun. And like that episode did gangbusters. And then it's like Kristen Bell. No, actually Kristen Bell's episode was pretty good numbers wise, but just some other celebrities where I was like, huh, Nobody really listened to that. Uh, but but the fact that you get the freedom to even test things out or like have different guests on and go in different avenues, I think is the perk of having a podcast or like having a now a, a platform. I would get so bored if I was write, writing and interviewing people about the same thing over and over again. And our audience seems to stick with us because like, all right, Jen's got on that like nerdy scientist she wanted to talk to. But I know next week... I might get, you know, a celebrity makeup artist and the week after that. So, so they've learned to stick with us. And I think the through line is that it's a smart, you know, smart conversations, inclusivity, like beauty should not be this thing that feels glamorous to me. It, it's a connector. And I think that there's a lot of noise about like, it's the patriarchy and, you know, it puts women down and it makes us want to look a certain way. And I just don't see it like that at all. And I think our audience is the same. They know that it's a positive thing and it's a positive force in their lives. 
Not Your Average Joe, tip number three, the Not Average Joe uses the internet to harness and sharpen their skills or uncover new passions and new people to follow to find communities that they wouldn't have found otherwise. Isn't it also wild that you could start anything that you want on the internet because it's such a huge pool of niche audiences all around? Like you could literally decide that you wanna make a blog or an Instagram account or a TikTok account about hammers, all different kinds of hammers, and you will find an audience. It's just proof that if you are a creative person, you should start thinking about building an audience because it's a place for you to test your craft week after week, day after day, and we know the saying, practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes better. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I would love for you to kind of pitch beauty in a way for someone who doesn't give a shit about it at all to start rethinking what the concept of beauty is. Because I think in the media, we do have this fast food, empty carbs, often like vain view of beauty. And I've started to have a, do a different relationship and a different perspective on it. But what, how would you convince someone? It's got a name problem too. I had this conversation once with someone from magazines and it was like, can we call the beauty section something besides beauty? <laughs> because like it implies that the goal is to be beautiful, which implies that beauty is value. But I just don't have a better word for what I think it is, which is caring about yourself. And I think the self-care thing gets overblown, but more like I think of like putting on lipstick as a service to the people I'm talking to. It shows I respect you. I brought my A game. I'm going to look good because I want to not impress you, but I want you to feel like I thought you were worth a little bit of effort. So that's one part of it for me. The other part of it for me is that, that self-care. I'm not sure how else to say it, but like that moment of, oh my God, it's the worst day ever. Nothing feels better than a shower and like really doing your hair. And like doing a twist out and taking the time and the things that you would never do like on a really crappy day because it just makes you feel good and loved. And that connects all the way through to, you know, healthcare. Like if, if you think about the power of touch, you don't know how many hairstylists I've interviewed and makeup artists that talk about that person that maybe is in, you know, an old age home and hasn't had someone just come give them a hand massage and paint their nails how cared for they feel when that happens. Those are the things about beauty that make me love it. And the connectivity aspect that you were talking about, that's like the, the salon. That's like you sit next to the woman in the chair, 
you're both talking about how your red goes brassy. Fine. You're not really talking about that. You're talking like, I see you, you see me. We're having a shared human experience, but the beauty is just like a way to get into that deeper stuff. And I think that's how I think of it. I'm not going to tell people to go buy a bunch of products. That's not what our podcast is about. And that's not how I think of beauty. If it makes you feel good, do it. But like, it's not like buy this to fix that problem. That said, we do a lot of that on the podcast because that's what people want to know too. But I like to think of it as something bigger. Shooky cookie. I had never seen beauty in this kind of context. It wasn't until recently that I actually started putting myself together. But how wild is it that taking care of ourselves is a form of self-respect and respecting others? Not your average Joe, takeaway number four. A not average Joe knows that beauty isn't just about beauty. It's about this internal confidence that exudes outward, bringing opportunities right towards you. Like I told you, my relationship with beauty has kind of changed drastically over the last three years. And I have much of my early 20s documented on video that you can see, like I can send people links, like damn, look at, look at the glow up. And it wasn't so much of like, I didn't give a shit back then, but I guess I just, like I said to you, I assume that you can't be sharp and into beauty and into being put together. Like it was one or the other. Well, Have that's the thing that? that I will bring up the patriarchy with, though. <laughs> so I will do it in this case, which is that for so many years, marginalized communities and women in general were tokenized and put in these buckets like you're either pretty girl or you're smart girl or you're this job or you're that job. And I think it's only very recently that we've realized that you can be more than one thing at a time. And it's still a message that's getting through to us, you and me, but like young people as well. This brings up a really great journal entry. What are your limiting beliefs about your own beauty standards or your cultural context of beauty? You know, this is a global conversation. Depending on where you were born, what kind of family you're in, you're gonna have beliefs about physical appearances and sometimes they hold us back. It's clear to see how it used to hold me back. Absolutely. So. In all of these years of having conversations about beauty, are there some, I guess, universal truths or trends in how people think, not just about beauty, but like the psychology of, of how people see beauty that you've absorbed or that have shaped how you see beauty? I think one thing that I come back to a lot is realizing that not anybody looks at you as closely as you look at yourself. So for those people who are coming to beauty because they have an issue they want to fix, which is also so rewarding when you're like able to help someone with like, I don't know, they're going through a cancer treatment and they lost their eyebrows. And how do you put your eyebrow back on? Like there's those sides of it too. But once they have that feeling and have that fix, seeing that happens is, is really great. But the truth of the matter is like, like I said, not everybody looks at you that closely. So like put away the magnifying mirror. Nobody can see what's in your pores. Like all those things that you get real close to the mirror and get nitpicky with yourself about, think about you looking at others. You don't nitpick them like that. You just don't. Like, so they're not doing that to you. And even if you do, it's not at that granular microscopic level that you do to yourself. Uh, you know, social anxiety is real. And there's people that leave the party and are like, everybody's talking about me. Like, what did I say? And they go over and over in their head the thing that they said. You talk to everybody else at that party, they're not thinking about you at all. They're thinking about themselves and the thing that they said that screwed up. So like, 
if you just approach life like that, it makes things a lot easier. It's like a reframe. My co-host Jess always is like, oh, here we go with the reframe again. But it's a great... (laughs) It's a great tool. Not your average Joe. Tip number seven, social anxiety is real, but just know that most of the world has some sort of anxiety or insecurities, which means that when you go home and you're obsessing, wondering if those people are thinking about you, those people are too busy thinking about if other people were thinking about them. Therefore, everyone is canceling each other's anxieties out because no one is actually thinking about anybody else other than themselves. And I think once I accepted that, it was very liberating. I just started gliding into rooms and enjoying myself because at the end of the day, everybody's just out there judging themselves, thinking others are judging them when no one is. It is, it is. And I think the older I get, the confidence that I feel when I look put together, it's a, it's an internal thing. This is not for the external validation. It's like even perfume, I randomly started oh, yes. using perfume. And part of my limiting belief of this whole aesthetic thing was like why bother putting on perfume it's gonna go away like it's it doesn't ever stick is my was my like dumbass thoughts <laughs> so logical of you <laughs> it's so stupid i know i know i've definitely come a long way but the netflix show changed a lot of how i see beauty and part of it was perfume so we would spend 17 hours a day like on right like 16 hours you're shooting for like a lot of time and in the morning putting on my perfume would give me that little oomph of yes. confidence or like putting what on my highlighter. Put on? I put on Moscow Mule by Juliet Scott Gun and I just reordered it because it reminds me of this like confidence that I learned about with scent. Right? Yeah. And like now when I smell that perfume, it reminds me of like feeling like a boss and carrying the show of like knowing my shit and putting on nice out like it just was a different state of mind. So The question here is what uh, beauty tricks or tips or kind of guidance can you give people who are looking for a way to grow their confidence? Are there products we should be looking at or or categories of things that you've seen have helped you or other people that you've talked to grow this confidence or a better relationship with beauty in general? Confidence comes from within, yada, yada, yada. Okay, we all know that's true. Now let's get into it. I think you got to have your thing, like your feature, you know, don't look at somebody else's face. Like what's the thing that sets you apart? I have had gray hair since I was 15. So the minute, and I just felt like I looked like everybody else, like brunette, certain, whatever. The minute I let my white hair streak grow in, it was my thing. And it sort of was like, I felt confident about it. And then I have a lovely Iranian brow that is one brow, but you know, I have thick brow. So I was like, let's play this up, you know, like look at your own face, your own features. The thing that is your quirk is usually the thing that's also your power. Like, uh, someone with a gap between their teeth, like how gorgeous can that be when you really highlight that? Or someone with, who says their cheeks are chubby for lack of a better word, full cheeks, gorgeous, put blush on them. Like that's your thing. Like you just got to find your thing and play it up rather than, I think a lot of the way people were taught about beauty or hear about beauty is like adjusting and fixing problems. And I like to think of it as like picking the thing that's good and making it even bigger and better. That's my hot tip. Was it challenging for you to embrace the things that were so different? I think part of the, part of the reason that people struggle with this is because the, the narrative we get told is like to fit in that there's one standard of beauty. So it's hard for you to think yeah. my thick brows or for me at the time, it was like my thick thighs. I was a little kid growing up in like very skinny thighed America 
and I have these big jumbo Brazilian thighs that I would be so embarrassed about when I was a kid. I would like put my feet on my tippy toes so that my thighs wouldn't like splatter all over the, the benches in gym class. And now the thick thighs are saving lives. So as a kid, <laughs> it's very hard <laughs> to accept these things. When did it happen for yeah. you that you just accepted it? And I, and a child is different, right? Than someone our age who has already like come of age and knows how to reframe and use all these tools. If we're talking about a child, like that's when you don't value looks. You should be valuing other things. You've been doing sports. Are you really good at this activity? Do that. Are you good at tests? Like lean into the things that you're good at. And listen, I'm speaking from a place of extreme privilege. If you look at me, like I, the joke with my husband is like, you could fit in, in any culture. Cause I'm like light skinned enough that I'm here and it's okay, but I'm got to like tan enough that I'm here and it's okay. And you know, my body's like the in between, like it's very I'm lucky. I guess that's luck. It's privilege to, to be able to blend in in this way that I think a lot of people feel that they can't because they do have something especially quirky, for lack of a better word. Um, but if you can find that thing and own it, it just like takes the power away from anybody that might be making fun of it. It's the best feeling when like a bully pokes fun of something and you're able to be like, yeah, and? And if you don't show any pain, it like truly, it Fs with them. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. It's like it um, it has to come from within, as cheesy as it sounds. Like it's one thing to try to play up a gap in your teeth. But if you feel self-conscious about it, then it's going to people are going to smell it off of you. So it's like this journey to look within of like what makes yeah. you. I remember the first time like red lipstick used to so scare me. Um, and I just because I had buck teeth like I had headgear I had. The I've had braces for probably half of my life, like 15 years in some sort of metal contraption in my mouth. And so like red lipstick, like you would never while you have braces, while you have headgear, all of that. And the first time I wore red lip lipstick, I felt super self-conscious. Like I thought everybody was looking at it. You know what I mean? But then there was like a bit of a power in that. And it's sort of become my thing now. And I like to put it on and it just tells other people like I'm here like a little warrior, war, warrior paint. You know, it feels very like, okay, I got my face on. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, like I'm ready. But like, that first yeah, time, yeah, I'm not going to lie. That first time was, I thought everybody was looking at me. You walk in a room and it's like, record scratch. Like you think that's what's happening. But if you're able to separate yourself, you realize that's not what's happening. Right. It brings up the other concept of makeup being kind of like a, a mask or a shield. Versus, I am okay with that though. Let's talk about that because, okay, I filmed for a lot of time and a lot of the videos in my earlier experience and even now I'll film with no makeup on. I'll film freshly woken up frizzy hair and I do that on purpose because I want to show the little girls or whatever or like little boy, anybody watching that it's cool to be okay. Like this is me, right? But I, I've gotten comments from people being like, it's so crazy that you could do that. I'm like, uh, it is what it is. Like, I can dress up and I can dress down. But I think it was also an exercise for me to not have to rely so much on looking picture perfect all the time. It's like some days you're going to feel bad and look a little scrappy. Oh, my God. My favorite part of your Netflix show is when you and Megan are like in, in the bed and just woke up with like selfie cam. And like you don't have on like your presenter faces. But then we see like that really it's so nice that the show let you or maybe that was your decision. Was that like 
on purpose? Yes. Yeah, so we started vlogging. I was vlogging everything because this is just who I am, like documenting, yeah. especially travel experiences. And when the producers saw the beginning, they saw our vlogs. Like they always wanted us to vlog, but they didn't think we were going to vlog in like the raw moments of freshly woken up. But we actually all became friends and I would take the camera or then all of us started taking the camera and like just vlogging these real moments of us in bed and waking up and just like funny moments of friendship. And they wanted more of that because the network saw like that. I was get the- it because as a watcher, I'm like, it felt very intimate, but it also is like, I think that's when people are their most beautiful. They're like, oh, that's who they are. So was Under it shocking the- for you? No, not at all. I just think it's nice to be able to see people in all of their different formats, you know? Um, But I do think for someone who might have issues with, like, their skin texture, uh, you know, being able to put on a face of foundation, how cool that we have this tool that can even the playing field. Say what you will about the fact that our society needs us to, uh, you know, even the playing field. I get it. Put it in the comments, guys. It's a podcast. You can't even comment. Ha ha. But... It is nice to have these tools that we do have now and access to them because even, I mean, they can be really inexpensive, these tools. They don't have to cost all the money that some of the fancy stuff does. So I do think it is pretty inclusive that these tools are. That said, good teeth. What a what a privilege good teeth is, right? And around it's true, the world, that headgear like, that that paid off. Rich people, and I will count myself among them, even though I don't think I'm rich, but like have such nice teeth (laughs) it's true i know it's a luxury it's such a luxury that's just an example of something that i think people forget and like also all the things those celebrities do to their bodies and their faces like you know that's not how the rest of the world lives and so we shouldn't be using that those as our standards like you're never going to look like that unless you have two hundred thousand dollars a year to spend on derms plastic surgeons you know daily workouts all that stuff orthodontia (laughs) no it is true when i i was like 14 i had braces for four years and my mom made the joke that she bought me my car but it's in my mouth because it was like six grand to get my braces (laughs) my parents said the same thing yeah she did they amazing and she said she was like it's an investment because i think you're gonna you're gonna turn this into something and it's so crazy because it technically paid off right like the the tv side of it we were just joking about how good the oral care is on on our show of like everyone having smiles on that show (laughs) and i remember my mom struggling financially to pay for the for the braces but to her it was like i was so uncon i was so self-conscious about my teeth because i had these kind of teeth that overlapped each other and i wouldn't even smile and she saw that the physical aspect of my teeth was affecting my joy and like i was like reining back my happiest moments because i didn't want to smile because i didn't want to show my teeth like how wild is that no i i get it and some of these great nonprofits do work in the beauty space helping underprivileged kids deal with these things whether it's a birthmark that maybe like a little laser could work on but who has the money for a laser or teeth or even like with cataracts, I mean, I know that's usually with age, but like these simple, simple surgeries that like are life changing for the way you look, but also like the way you feel, um, giving more people access to that is just something that I think is so important. It's so crazy. Have you ever done any research in favoritism? I've seen some research on like how quote unquote, traditionally more beautiful people get more access to opportunities and things like that. Have you dabbled in that world? 
Um, it's funny you say that. My thesis in college was all about cross-cultural interpretations of beauty and pretty privilege, which is, I think, a book. Who wrote Pretty Privilege? Cannot remember. There's psychologists that study this. It's 100% true. It's there. It's, you know, it's a thing. And it's something cool about the pandemic. I feel like that sort of leveled the playing field sometimes because people were able to, like, put on a Zoom presentation of who they are and, like, you know, some of the, like, they didn't have to have the expensive looking clothes because we were just like doing interviews over this thing. Maybe you'll get a job more. But to answer your question, yes. And it is cross-cultural. That is everywhere. Um, that it opens doors for you when you look a certain way. But that's why I think some of these tools, braces, foundation, help to, you know, not negate that, but level the playing field. That's so crazy because it's like you're dealt this hand of cards it's a it's a lottery yeah. right like all of this shit is just yeah. lottery and so i guess the mastering of it is is really trying to work with what you've got in a way that makes you feel good but but make no mistake it also affects the external opportunities that you get yeah that's sure. crazy and but think about that person i don't know why men don't have as much of this pressure, I think, but one thing that they do have is height for some reason all around cultures too. And I've seen, and there's data to support this, that taller is better and opens more opportunities like mate selection wise, all of these things, but how, but you can, we can all point to the not so the tall challenged male identifying person who is killing it still because attitude can overcome some of that stuff. Some. Right. It's it's also fascinating now that I'm getting into the dating bracket of like balding men, like the the aging of the balding men, and I say that with a chuckle because let's talk about like, it. I spent 13 years with a bald man. Go on. And, but here's what the are thing. your thoughts? Not, will you date a bald man? Not, of course, I will date a bald man. But it's so fascinating. Like anytime I talk to anyone, I try to get so deep for no reason. Not everyone's cup of tea, but one question that I have with my friends who are going bald, they're losing their hair. It's not whether I'll date a bald guy or a guy with a full head of hair. It's the interesting in between, right? Like, and yes, I will date a guy who's in the, in between, but I've seen the, the ways that it could ruin a man's confidence if they yeah. don't have a grasp on like, am I going to admit that I'm going bald or am I going to try to hold strategy. on? To this long ponytail that's actually concealing a huge bald spot in the back of my head. And yeah. and what does that mean about the person in general, right? Yeah, it does. I am of the mindset of, like, if you have a nice-shaped head, just shave it off. Think about all the time we spend, like, correcting for these things. Like, what could that person be doing with all that extra time in their life if they're not busy taking Rogaine every morning and micropigmenting their scalp and getting PRP like free up yourself to spend all that time and money on a better pursuit if you can do that right I feel like I would just try to own it it's hard it's hard to sit here and like <gasps> one of the most say beautiful it. women I know this girl Allie I was who I grew up with had um alopecia areata so she didn't have any hair on her head eyelashes or eyebrows she was gorgeous I always wonder I actually think if she grew in her hair, she would have been less attractive because there was something about her that was so 
um, she had a lot of confidence too. And she totally owned it and made jokes about it. So like it became a non thing the minute you met her and she was striking looking like it became an object of beauty in a way in its exoticism rather than like, Oh, is something wrong with her? Um, but yeah, she was a special one though. Cause she had, she reframed. <laughs> Do you have that thing? My, so I think for a lot of years I, I battled with my hair my hair and I have pictures to prove this right like frizzy ass tight ponytails I would do everything I could to kind of like shrink it because I was self-conscious that I would be in a classroom and every person pointed out my hair because it was the only head of hair that looked like like how it looked not only that but I didn't learn how to take care of it until a lot later and most of the time that I spent trying to take care of it was trying to minimize it it was trying to like put buckets of gel. I used to have this horrible routine in middle school where I had this um, this like tube of Garnier Fructis extra strength firm hold gel. Jen, I swear to my life, I used to go two times a day to the bathroom, to the girls' bathroom, and I would put my head inside the sink, full water, blasting full water, and then I would dab a little bit of paper towel on it to dry it off, and then I would put basically a palm full of Garnier Fructis gel on each side, right? I would split my hair in two sides so that my hair looked like glue. And then my back would be soaking wet. So I would come back into the classroom like 20 minutes later. And the back of my shirt would just have like a ring of wetness. And everyone would be like, did you just shower? And this was my experience in middle school because my mom didn't let me straighten my hair when I was young because she said that it smelled like a burnt chicken. And all of this was rooted in the same effort to, like, shrink my hair. And by the time I got to college, I was straightening my hair every single day. It was limiting the stuff I did. I wouldn't work out because I was like, oh, shit, I can't get sweaty because then I, you know, have to wash my hair and it takes three hours to straighten. I go to Paris. I buy a blow dryer in Paris thinking that it would work. This is when I blew up the power in the entire building. And my French homestay mom came in yelling at me, saying in French, qui brûle les cheveux, like who's burning their hair? If you want to go straight in your hair, go to the coiffure, which is the hairdresser, yeah. and pay 60 euros. And I was broke. So it was only in this chapter of my life, which is sophomore year of college, where I had no choice but to embrace my curly hair. And I didn't even have hair product, right? Like... I couldn't find curly hair products, so I would put conditioner in my hair, and it would just get frizzy throughout the day, but I had no other choice. And by the time I got back to New York, a few months later, I had this moment of like, holy shit, because I realized I was interning in these companies where I was the only woman of color, the only one with curly hair, and it hit me that I had spent my entire life trying to shrink myself to not be noticed, but in New York... In fact, when you do get noticed is when you kind of get ahead. And the more I let my hair grow, the more personality came with it. And like I'm scratching my head because it was a huge correlation of confidence. Me coming into my actual personality versus all of those years I had spent trying to shrink it through my hair and now I'm known for my hair now everybody's like oh my god Joe I love your hair and I'm like if you only knew the struggle right of like the journey to get to this point here's where where I will call out the beauty industry though because I know I'm being all positive about it 10 years ago they only made products for a certain type of hair I'm sorry the most extra strength Garnier Fructis in 2005 was not going to work on Brazilian coils it just wasn't like 
And it wasn't until I think very recently that we all started getting products that helped enhance and like make big curly hair look good. Because if you're working with like the white lady hair products for 50 years and like alcohol sprays and drying stuff that's meant to do like a straight lady bouffant hair, you know, you just can't embrace those things. So that was a problem that I do think we had that I do think is really has been mitigated in the last couple of years. Like the, the, you know, the diversity of both skin color, hair texture, you know, products has made us all be able to do these things and like do them well. You know what I mean? It, you bring up a good point that it's not necessarily just an individual's like outlook on it. It's what's happening in society too. It's like what people consider beautiful, which we know has changed over the decades. Yeah. And it, and it continues to change and it cycles. So as much as we like to think that it is a more inclusive space right now, um, is that going to last? I don't no. And do we end up fetishizing certain things? And then we all turn into like Android robot looking people that are like not naturally attainable. Like that seems to be an aesthetic we're going in that scares me a little bit. So I don't want people to come away from this conversation thinking like, I don't see the downsides of some of this. Well, do you follow trends or do you just keep in mind your true north? Well, to me, a trend, there's so many types of trends. There's a trend in ingredients, like, you know, acai is hot right now or whatever. There's trends in looks, like I'm going to try electric blue euphoria eyeliner. Um, trends in fashion, I totally follow because I just love creativity. Um, so, yeah, I do, but not as a follower, more as like an embracer. On the subject of products, I know that you asked me for packing tips. So this is like the version huh. of, yeah. of this for you. What are some products or categories of products that we should all be thinking about experimenting with and or have saved your life? Sunscreen, SPF. I am like, the, I will, this is, I want to go to my grave having gotten some more people to use sunscreen because it, A, medically saves lives, blah, blah, blah. B, it is an anti-ager. Do not spend all your money on anti-aging products. If you haven't started wearing sunscreen, there are Many studies that show the act of wearing sunscreen itself reverses signs of aging. The, the thinking on that is if your skin is protected because something else is doing the protecting for it, the SPF, it can do its own healing. Do you know what I mean? So it's not spending all that time fighting off the free radicals um, and the cellular damage that's caused by the UV light. It can do the other things that kind of make you look a little bit better. So just before you buy any anti-aging products, wear your sunscreen every day. That alone is like a wrinkle cream for me. Um, wow. And if you're concerned about ingredients, I will say that for some reason, the beauty industry gets a lot, a lot of toxicity talk around it. And there's a lot of negative. And I think it's because it's such an intimate act putting on products. Trust me when I say products from large companies in the United States are thoroughly tested. Your sunscreen is not doing you more harm than good. And if that bothers you, just look for mineral sunscreens on darker skin tones, they're getting much better that even the mineral sunscreens can be, you know, encapsulated in a way that they rub in nicely. There are those products. You do have to pay more for them, unfortunately. But I think in the next couple of years, the prices will come down on the really nice sunscreens, too, because it's just like the number one thing. So and so mineral sunscreen would be like the creme de la creme. Option. Well, for me, I, I love a chemical sunscreen. Oh, give me the oxybenzone. Like I love a clear serum, super group, unseen sunscreen, naked Sundays, Australian Sunscreen companies are the best in the world. I don't know what they're doing down there, but they know how to make SPF. They also have access to ingredients that the United States does not has not 
um, allowed us to use. The FDA does not regulate. So they have these more modern feels and formulas that we don't have here. But some of the Australian companies are now coming to the States and formulating with the 16 sunscreen greens that we do approve in the United States, and their products are amazing. So um, what are some other Ultraviolet? I don't think that's available in the States yet, but it's in Australia. They make great sunscreens. Neutrogena that you use, they make beautiful sunscreens. Those are some of my favorites. Okay. What else? Any other products? Um, let's see. Well, I'm like all about, I will do a very invasive thing so that I have to do less on the everyday. So like a lash tint and curl can be life-changing for some people. I love mascara. I love a tubing mascara because they all smear on me. So I do love the Thrive Cosmetics mascara and the Kevin Aquan oh, volume. Amazing. The Thrive? So good. Yeah. You like, like it too. Peel off. It's yes. so cool. It's like revolutionary. I got it in an uh, in an Ipsy package. It's funny. I've never really talked about beauty before. So this is, it's so funny that this is even coming out of my mouth. But yeah, I love that mascara and it's like cruelty free and it peels off. It's so gratifying to peel it off like the jelly. Yes. It's called a tubing mascara. And so instead of like the waxes that sort of melt off when you splash with water, it's a polymer that just sort of detaches from your lashes people get freaked out the first time they use it because they uh my friend called it spider legs because you'll like wash your face and some of the tubing mascaras you look in the sink and you're like did my lashes just fall out yeah yeah i thought i had no eyelashes yeah it's just because i wasn't ready for that no and they're great and they don't smudge but again getting like uh lash tinting and lash curling so you don't even have to wear mascara could be great laser hair removal that we talked about life-changing that was like I was so self-conscious in bathing suits because of the... um Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hyperpigmentation of my bikini line from all the ingrowns and all of that. Um, And getting laser hair removal was 100% worth the money. And then I'm all about, oh, lasers, injectables, Botox, filler, give it all to me. I have no problem with any of that. Right. I think that's also so different from my grandma's beauty standards. Like Botox now is such a common subject. Oh, because the lady didn't talk about these things. So, so talk to me about Botox here. Like, (laughs) do I need to be getting Botox? Like, do I, what's up? Go to the derm. They're going to make you frown like this. They're going to see if you have 11s between your eyes. They're going to make you rise your eyebrows. Do you have wrinkles there? I am not a fan of preventative Botox. Do not get it until you need it. Botox is just there for the, the movement lines that form on your face. So I got my first Botox when I was 29, but at the time I was also nearsighted and didn't know it yet. So I had been squinting for like five years at the screen. Wow. I got a pair of glasses. Beauty tip. Get your eyes checked. You could be forming little wrinkles because you're squinting all the time and you don't realize it. It's so crazy how much of this is is behavioral as well. Like if you're doing, if you're looking at a screen for 12 hours a day and you don't even realize that you're scowling that like I step away from the screen. I've also seen people who have dark eye circles. It's the bane of their existence. They finally go to an allergist, get on some, don't realize they have allergies, get on some allergy like meds 
and the dark eye circles go away because when you rub your skin, it pigments more and it changes the texture over time. So if you're rubbing your eyes constantly, you are actually causing the darkening of the skin. So like get an anti-itch eye drop, get a like Claritin every day. You could actually look better. Like the health and this beauty is- are very tied up, you know? So what are some health things other than getting an allergy test, which I highly recommend. I got one yeah. and I realized I'm allergic to every shellfish on this earth. Oh, but it's crazy. What a shame. I know. I actually found out at this like ritzy event. I was an intern for uh, this PR company and I, I had this huge cocktail, like this juicy looking cocktail shrimp and I ate it. And then all of a sudden my lips start itching and I no. like ran out of there dramatically. And then I found out, yes, I'm allergic. But when when I got over the heartbreak of, of that, I realized, like, damn, we should all just be getting allergy tests yeah. preventatively, like, to see what, what works with our bodies and what doesn't. And, of course, doctors won't likely tell you that unless you have something that's bothering you, but you could find out that you're intolerant to certain things that will affect your body. And they're not all body. allergies. Sometimes they're just ge- – there's this um, writer, J.J. Virgin is her name, and she – can take you through an elimination diet, which is basically taking out like the nine big allergens in your diet and then bringing them back one by one. You don't know how many people I have suggested that to that realized, you know, X type of food was doing Y to their body, brain fog, stomach issues, these things. I'm not saying that's for everybody. Me, I ended up having no issues with it, but I've seen it work for a lot of people. So I'm a big fan of at least trying that at once, try it once, twice if you like it, an elimination diet to see if that helps because what you eat is like 100% goes into how you look so what we've covered was a lot of different topics but i think it has a similar vein which is like moderation and consistency wait is my interview gonna end up with moderation as the theme i'm not okay with that (laughs) forget that i need to No, listen (laughs) listen jen i think moderation is the dopest thing it really is. is and it's it's not these hypes, right? Like whether we're talking, because literally we started talking about podcasting and then we're talking about like tubable mascara. But I guess the point is like the knowing thyself, the consistency, all of it. The question that I always wrap up every interview with is if you were to give any advice to someone to be a less average Joe, what would that be? Try, try it. Just try it. What's the worst that can happen? I always go through the scenario in my head. I think, okay, if I do this, worst case scenario is this. I can deal with that. And so just try it once. And I also think that opens you up to different people and different things that you would never get out of your little echo chamber and like expand your horizons and just try it once. And that is it for the day. I want to thank Jen so much. It was such a lovely conversation. Uh, She gave me a tip that episode should be 45 minutes. And I'm like, damn, Jen, but I have so much good stuff to talk to you about. So I hope that you stuck around until now. If you did, don't forget to rate the show five stars. That would be very helpful for me to see if you guys are digging it. Don't forget to share with a friend if you feel like they would benefit from these conversations. That is the algorithm, right? Like there is no algorithm that's putting this podcast out into a zeitgeist. You guys guys listening are the algorithm and i appreciate you for spreading the word about the not average joe podcast follow us on instagram at not your average joe pod and there are some bonus clips as well as my youtube channel that i've started posting the visual episodes so that's cool if you'd like to join the conversation on discord i'm linking the chat room in the show notes i'm going to berlin next week so i think my rant my solo rant will be on my travels maybe i'll do a travel pod And just do like a diary 
visual diary vlog style episode. I don't know. I'm experimenting. Like I said, you got to do it consistently to get better. So wish me luck. And I will see you next time. Have an above average week because you, honey, you deserve it. Hey, yo, come listen to my girl, man. What you doing? Shit.